just want to thank you for your prayers. I can't tell you how many people have approached me and said you're praying for me as I go tomorrow for my uh, the surgery that is scheduled. So uh, thank you so much. I'm supposed to be at the hospital at 7.30 in the morning, so we have to get an early start. But uh, hopefully I'll be home the next day. That's what they're telling me. So we'll see what happens. I, uh, during this uh, Advent season, Pastor Jim has invited uh, Steve Morgan and Highland Goodman and myself to join him in presenting a series of four sermons so focusing on this significant Christmas text that was read this morning, Isaiah 9-6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his, his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, just a word about the setting of these words. Isaiah was a prophet in the, uh, whose ministry was primarily in the southern kingdom of Judah. Early in Isaiah's prophetic ministry, a man by the name of Pekah, became the king in the northern kingdom of Israel. He became king by assassinating the previous king, so you can see what kind of a guy he was. And soon, Pekah mounted an assault against Jerusalem. And in their fear and despair, there were those in Jerusalem who went in the wrong direction for consultation as to how to oppose this enemy. This aroused Isaiah to say this, and I quote, When they say to you, consult the mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. So he urged the people to turn to God for counsel. Well, the assault, and you can see this in the previous chapter uh, in, in Isaiah chapter 8, and the assault turned out to be unsuccessful for Pekah, but it was very unsettling to the people of Judah. But in that setting, Isaiah gave this great promise of hope that one day all conflict would end, a child would be born, fulfilling all the messianic promises. That child, of course, has been born. He is Jesus, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So our four Advent sermons will focus on these four names given to our Savior. And this morning, my assignment is to speak to you about the Wonderful Counselor. You know, uh, recently, Mariana and I had a wonderful trip. We had a chance to... Uh, just now, I gotta find my, gotta find my notes. I got them all mixed up. You know, everything's. Uh, this is almost like old times. Nothing up on the screen. We use hymnals. Uh, you know, I there. I was gonna at one point in this service, we were going to read in unison a passage of scripture, and it's not gonna be there. In the old days, I mean, in the really old days, when I was young, we all had the King James version. And I just say, open your Bibles, and we want to have a unison reading. We all had the same translation. 
and we could read it all together, but I can't say about this passage that I want us to read in unison, open your Bibles, because you've got all kinds of different Bibles and so on. Uh, but this is sort of like the old days. kind of fun to read out of the, uh, to sing out of the hymnal, isn't it? <laughs> well, anyway, here's my little story. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Mariana and I took a wonderful little midweek vacation, and we spent a couple of days at the Grand Canyon. And while there, we discovered a wonderful restaurant and uh, where we were served by a wonderful waiter. We had a wonderful meal and were seated in a wonderful location overlooking that wonderful bit of creation truly appropriately named the Grand Canyon. Now, did you notice I've been guilty of adjectival abuse? I don't know if that's in the dictionary, but, you know. Uh, you know, the restaurant was nice, but it was not wonderful. The waiter would have embarrassed if we have said to him, oh, you fill me with wonder. If the meal had been the best in history, wonderful would, not, would have been too strong an adjective. Our location by a window was not wonderful, but what we saw through that window was without any doubt wonderful. That great mild deep canyon with all its marvelous shapes and colors filled us with wonder. It reminded us of the awesomeness of the Creator who put it all together. Whether over eons carved out by the Colorado River as the lecturer we listened to told us, or if it happened in one moment as the result of God's infinite creative genius. The Grand Canyon, in its immensity and multicolored beauty, caused us to be filled with wonder. It is truly wonderful. Wonderful is an adjective. It means filled with wonder. But we often abuse that adjective. We say last Sunday's Thanksgiving potluck was a wonderful meal. Not so. It was good. It was delicious. It was filling. It was nutritious. But no one was filled with wonder over that nice meal. I came close as I had green beans in a casserole. <laughs> I counted five of them on that, on that table. I didn't sample them all. It was good. Wasn't wonderful, didn't fill me with wonder. So we be, need to be careful that we don't commit adjectival abuse by using some of these expansive terms in very common ways. Maybe saying wonder filled instead of wonderful would help us to keep that word in proper perspective. Now, Jesus is wonderful. Everything about him should cause us to be filled with wonder. It is my assignment today to speak to you about the fact that he is the wonderful counselor. Now, thinking about his wonder, uh, every place we turn, we're filled with wonder when we see Jesus. If you read the pages of the New Testament, you read the Gospels, and... and and we find Jesus walking on water and changing water to wine and feeding the 5,000 and healing and casting out demons. And he's, the people are 
filled with wonder as they see the things that Jesus does. And we can't talk about all of that, but we can talk about just a little bit. So I've chosen uh, just one chapter, a Christmas chapter, Luke chapter 2, to show three places where people were filled with wonder. First of all, we have the, uh, the shepherds. And they're out there in, this, in the nighttime, wa- watching over the sheep. And all of a sudden, their peaceful night is shattered by the appearance of an angel. And an angel comes and he says, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a uh, um, Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And then he goes on and he says, you, you can go and you will find him wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And then to the one angel, there is an addition of what says a multitude of the heavenly host saying, and we like to say they were singing it, and I like to think that they were singing it. Uh, Glory to God in highest on earth, to, uh, on earth peace to men with whom he is pleased. And I... I, I think it was a great angelic chorus. I think, that, I think they sang it uh, time after time after ten and time. I think the hills reverberated with all that, but that's our imagination. It says this multitude said these great words. The shepherds then suddenly, the angels were gone, and the nighttime quiet has settled in. And the shepherds, we, we need to go right now and see this thing that has come to pass. I don't know what happened to sheep, but they left, and they went, and they searched, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. And the text doesn't tell us in Luke 2 that Mary and Joseph shared their story, but I can't help but believe they did, and then the shepherds told of their experience with these angels. And then we read, and and there must have been some other people there, because the text says, all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. This great, wonderful story of how God has broken in upon the human experience filled the story of that, filled these people with wonder. We go ahead about a month, not eight days. Jesus was circumcised after eight days, but there was a 33-day period of purification prescribed by the law, and when that time was fulfilled, they, the Holy Family go this five to ten miles to Jerusalem to the temple to present Jesus there. And they made the sacrifice of peasants, two turtle doves or pigeons, and, uh, and then an elderly man comes. This man, by name of Simeon, he comes and he asks if he could hold this child in his arms. And Simeon says, as he looks at this child and recognizes what has happened, and he says, now... My soul can depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And and then when he has said this and and, uh, expressed that, it says, And his father and mother, Jesus, Mary, and and Joseph, were amazed at the things which were being said about him. There was was filled with wonder. And then before Luke chapter 2 is done, we find Jesus as a preteen, a 12-year-old boy. And again, he's in the temple. And you know the story. He's debating and, and, and discussing theology with all the doctrines of theology. And, uh, and there we read, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Jesus is wonderful. And he fills people with wonder wherever he goes, whatever he does. 
I wonder about us. Are we filled with wonder at this beautiful Christmas story? Are we filled with wonder as we realize who Jesus is, this wonderful one? I want to read, and it was my intention to put it up on the screen and read it together. We're going to read, I want to read this passage from the first chapter of Colossians. I wanted us to read it slowly and thoughtfully. I'm going to read it to you. Please listen. This is all about Jesus, the wonderful one. This is from Colossians, the first chapter. God delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He also is head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. This is certainly a wonder-filled passage, loaded with reminders of our wonderful Savior. I worry that I am capable of reading with a casual, almost flippant attitude such passages as this. Jesus the eternal Son of God, the creator of this wonder-filled universe, he came into this sin-cursed world and suffered untold agonies. He bled and died and rose again so that I could be joined to him in this great universal church, the body of Christ, my sins forgiven, my destiny, eternal life in a place of indescribable glory, and I'm capable of yawning my way through the reading of scriptures such as this. And of allowing the Christmas season reminders of this marvelous uh, and truly wonderful truth of incarnation to be met with sort of a, oh, that again, response. I admit I'm capable of that. How about you? I fear that we have learned to selectively suppress our emotions. Many of us express more excitement about the Seahawks than about Jesus. It may be good for us sometime in this Advent season in our private or family moments to get on our knees as we reread this wonder-filled story of God becoming a man. Jesus is our wonderful counselor. Now, let's turn our attention to him as the, this, what I'm calling the dispenser of counsel. Uh, wonderful is an adjective, what he is like. Counselor is a noun, 
what, what he is, what he does. When, when we are moving into a, an unfamiliar culture, we need some counsel. I remember it was 20 years ago that uh, I, along with a couple other members of this congregation and some other folks from the Pacific Northwest, went to Thailand for about two and a half um, weeks of ministry. And we needed some counsel. For example, we were told, I mean, we were told some things about uh, the Thai culture. Um, when you enter a house, always, always take your shoes off. When you enter a house, never step on the threshold because you might offend the spirits that live under that threshold according to the belief of many of the Thai people. When you are, um, when you walk past someone who is superior to you, older or socially superior, you are to duck your head so that your head is lower than the head of that individual. Now, uh, some of you have noticed I'm not a very tall person, but uh, I was the old guy of this bunch. I was in my mid-60s, and uh, there I was, and, and uh, I was a teacher, and we were working in schools. And we were in high school, and a lot of these high schoolers, then and now, there and here, are a lot taller than I am, aren't you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, But these kids, I'd be standing in a hall talking to somebody, and these kids would come along, and then they would walk like this as they walked past me, fulfilling that cultural norm. We had, we had to have some counsel and learn about this sort of thing. Now Jesus has people that are entering a new spiritual realm, and he becomes the counselor. The pages of the Gospels are filled not only with the wonder of bringing things that he did, but with his counsel. And uh, I want us to think about the motive, the motivation of Jesus as a counselor, the transfer of the counseling task, and then his final words as a counselor. Now, uh, the motive I see in Matthew 9.36 is a passage that expresses motive. It says this, And seeing the multitudes... He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. You know, the sheep-shepherd motif is, is throughout the scriptures. And among the people who were the recipients of the word of God in those days, they were well acquainted with sheep and shepherds. Me, I, I hardly know a sheep from a goat. In fact, uh, um, some of the sheep and goats in the Holy Land that I saw when I was there, I couldn't tell the difference. I don't, I've never met a shepherd. I don't know anything about sheep, sheep and shepherds. But these people knew all about it. And so that sheep and shepherd motif is very uh, understandable to them, culturally relevant. Now, at the danger of doing the thing, you know, I've been accused of uh, trying to pack too much into a sermon. And I want, you know, I don't get to do this very often, so i got to share with you everything that I know. And, uh, but at, at the risk of, of, of violating that, I want to just say there are three major discourses in the Gospels that Jesus gave, the counselor, the counsel that he gives. And, and just to put it in perspective, uh, Pastor Jim, these Sundays, uh, when we get back to it, is preaching from First Thessalonians. Each of these 
three major discourses of Jesus is longer in the number of verses than the, the, book of first, the entire book of 1 Thessalonians. The first of those is the sermon as, known as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. And in it, Jesus is counseling the multitudes. They're entering new spiritual reality and he's giving them counsel so they know how to navigate their way there. The second of those discourses is sometimes referred to as the Olivet Discourse, and it's in Matthew 23 to 25 where we find that. And this is to the 12, and it especially focuses on eschatology about future events. And so uh, that, too, is, is a lengthy uh, passage. Um, the third, and we have some familiar with this, familiarity with this from recent sermons, in, in John chapters 13 to, through uh, 16, we have Jesus' kind of last words to his disciples before he leaves them. In fact, he begins that, that passage, that lengthy discourse, by saying, I'm going away. I'm going to leave you. And Peter says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many, many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again, that where I am, there you may be also. And, and then Thomas says, Lord, where are you going? And, and how do we know the way? And Jesus responded with these memorable words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And then he goes on and he says, remember we're talking about he's transferring his uh, counseling responsibility because he says these things I, this is still in the, in the uh, four, uh, 14th chapter these things I have spoken to you while abiding with you but the helper some translations say the counselor or the comforter the, the, the Holy Spirit the helper the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you and then he goes on, and, and a little later, in the 16th chapter, he says, it's to your, you may not believe it. I mean, he didn't say this. I think the implication was there. You may not believe this, but it's, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because when I go away, then I will leave the Holy Spirit to be the one to, to meet your needs. And, and sure enough, here comes the Holy Spirit, and he's the one who indwells us as believers. He's the one who produces fruit in our lives. He's the one who gives gifts. He's the one who, according to Romans 8, is praying for us. He's the one who, if we are willing to submit to him, he will fill us with himself, the Holy Spirit. So Jesus transfers the counseling task to this wonderful Holy Spirit. The final words of Jesus, the final words of Counselor, just before that wonder-filled event. I mean, he said he was going away, and the disciples watched him rise. He ascended into heaven. A cloud received him out of their sight, and they were filled with wonder. But just before he, his last words before he left were these, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in, all, and in Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. Those were his final words of counsel, and then he departed. With the promise of the angel that he's coming back, 
and let him come back yet. So, the gospel, and we live the 20, 21 centuries beyond this, and the gospel has gone into so many parts of the world. It was exciting to hear um, uh, a short time ago when uh, Pak Titus, the, uh, the Indonesian man, was with us. Uh, some of you were here on a Wednesday night, and he told us about the work he's in. And, uh, and uh, Matt shared with us a little bit last Sunday. I want to just expand on that. Uh, Pak Titus is the head of an organization, a sister organization, with which Reach Global, the Free Church, works. And he is head over uh, the national uh, uh, organization of church planters. And they have a multitude of individuals that are serving to help church, to plant churches. Not to build churches, church buildings, but to establish little home churches. And and Pak Titus told us in that vast nation of five major uh, islands and a multitude of others that on average of two a day Muslims come to faith in Christ through the ministry of this church planting network that he's part of. And that's exciting news that in the Islamic world two believers a day are being added to the church, the body of Christ, because they've listened to the counsel that comes from the Word of God. I have a question for you. Uh, what book in the New Testament would you say is the most theologically complete? Now, I have an answer for that, and if you would think about it, I think that some of you might agree with me. I'm going to say the Romans. Paul's letter to the Romans is, is filled with theological truth. And those first 15 chapters, a 16th chapter is a lot of greetings, so that's kind of not part of it, but there's 15 chapters filled with, with good, solid theology. And after 14 and a half chapters, Paul comes to say this to these Roman believers. I am concerned, um, brethren, excuse me, I'm convinced. I am convinced that you yourselves are filled with all knowledge and able also to counsel one another, admonish one another. Paul says, I've given you 14 and a half chapters of good, solid theology, and you, I'm convinced now that you got enough to go on and you can turn around and you can share this good word with others. I believe it's safe to say that we are among the most spiritually, scripturally instructed Christian people in history. Sermons, Bible studies, seminars, books, internet, TV, all of this and more is at our disposal. Like sponges, we take it all in. Hearing this sermon, listening to that podcast, attending another Bible study, exposing ourselves to good biblical counsel. Is it about time for you, the sponges, to get squeezed a bit and start to give out some of that counsel that you have so generously received? Is it time for you to seek out another person or two or three, not quite as far along in their journey as you are, or maybe not yet started on that journey, in whom you may make 
of spiritual investment. Certainly there are those of you who need to adhere to the final counsel of Jesus by being a witness to your particular Jerusalem or beyond. You are competent to counsel. That's the way one translation puts that verse in Romans. You're competent to counsel. Do it. Don't just think it. Just don't talk about it. Do something about it. I challenge you with that. You know, we've been considering Jesus as the wonderful counselor. My hope is that doing so has put each of us in a better position to experience the wonder of all that began that starry night when angels startled some shepherds with earth-shaking news. And, and that we understand, my hope is that we understand just a bit more clearly the message of Jesus the Counselor the enablement of the Holy Spirit, it is ours to share with those around us. May God enable us and help us to do so. And now, with reverence and awe and wonder, we get to share in that act of communion with the saints, which symbolically declares the wonder of God's grace by which we are joined to Jesus Christ, head of the church, and our wonderful counselor. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, our words are incapable of expressing the thanks that we have to you for all of all that Jesus is, for the wonder of all that he is and all that he has done. And we come to you recognizing that you have given us by your grace, so much information, so much understanding of your truth. You've given us the Holy Spirit to enable us to live our lives under the guidance of your Spirit. So, Lord, take these thoughts at this Advent season, and I pray that you will be at work in our hearts and lives as we respond to this one who is our wonderful counselor. We pray in his name.